This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. And today's episode is for anyone who has ever felt like they need to run away from or turn off their anxiety. Because I'm joined by Dr. Chloe Carmichael, clinical psychologist and author of the new book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. She joined me for a conversation about how anxiety can actually be your superpower. You just need the tools to harness it. In this episode, we talk about what anxiety really is, why it gets a bad rap, and what Dr. Chloe's favorite simple tools are for harnessing its power to fuel you. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Welcome to Modern Mentor. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks, Rachel. It's great to be with you. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on the book. I read it. I loved it. I resonated with it. Um, I felt like parts of your story felt similar to mine. I would love it if you would start by just giving us a little bit of context to what inspired you to write the book and, and why now? Sure. So my practice as a clinical psychologist was on Park Avenue in Manhattan, and we were doing really well, but I'm sorry to say the sessions were not exactly affordable, and I was getting calls from all over the world, which made me so happy. I was so happy that my message was getting out there and resonating with people, but I felt kind of bad that there just it wasn't possible to accommodate all the individual session requests. And then here's the interesting part. I realized that anxiety has actually been shown to be um, very receptive to self-help because people with anxiety do have that nervous energy. They'll read the directions, they'll double check, they'll complete the steps. And so they actually tend to be very well helped by some self-help books. So I decided to go ahead and share nine of my best techniques along with some stories about my practice and my own journey in this book. It's such a great story. And, and by the way, as a person who definitely carries some anxiety of my own, that really resonates with me. I love an action plan. I love a series of steps. Although what I loved about your book in particular is that it's not steps so much as it's a series of tools that you can kind of pick and choose based on what resonates and, and what feels right to you. And I really appreciated that. Sometimes it feels like, okay, I have to start at step one and, and go through step 10. And that feels kind of cumbersome. But this was 
more of a choose your own adventure style. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, I'm glad that that stood out to you. I kind of think of it as like a cookbook, you know, we don't have to go in order, we can choose the recipe that we need at that time. Yes. And I love that. And I also love that I didn't have to cook anything That's because true. that actually triggers my anxiety. So, so there you have it. So we're using this word anxiety. It's a word that us lay people, I think, tend to use fairly often and, and maybe not always correctly. And so as we think about this term anxiety, as well as the term nervous energy, which you use in your book, help us understand how you're defining those terms, how we can think about them. Sure. I'm so glad you asked that because I really think anxiety gets kind of a bad rap sometimes. So people will often come and say, hey, Dr. Chloe, how do I get rid of my anxiety? And I want to explain to them that the goal is not to get rid of it. It's a gift from Mother Nature. We get it for a reason. Mother Nature does nothing in vain. It's actually a big source of energy. We just have to learn how to point it in the right direction. So anxiety, I think of as that kind of heightened sense of awareness that we have when we realize that there's some kind of a challenge or a situation that we don't yet have fully resolved. And it's that little tickle from Mother Nature saying, hey, let's see how we can figure this out. Yeah, I think that's such a lovely way to frame it. You know, you talk a little bit in your book about ideas that kind of dance with meditation and yoga. I know you have a, a yoga practice. You've been a yoga teacher in the past. And I know I've certainly heard people say things like, well, you know, meditation is supposed to, you know, make me turn off my mind or make me kind of put my mind into blank mode. And I think it's not, it's about kind of stepping back and, and seeing it, but harnessing it right in a more positive way. That is so well said, Rachel. So you're absolutely right. A lot of people have the idea that meditation is always about relaxing or that it's always about, as you said, turning off your mind or clearing your mind, etc. And there are meditations that are good for each and every one of those things. Some of them are even in my book. But what mindfulness meditation is about specifically is it's about metacognition, which is learning how to have that 30,000 foot view of your own mind and realize like, oh, gee, I'm like really in a people pleasing mode today. I wonder if that means I should be careful I don't overcommit to things because I have this meta awareness that for whatever reason, I'm, I'm in this particular mode. So when we have that ability to observe and understand ourselves, that's what mindfulness meditation is. Yeah, that's a really helpful way to think about it. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book is the way that you brought so many different stories in. And I'm, I'm assuming these are either anonymized or like amalgamations of clients that you've seen over the years. And I love how you have stories set in a bunch of different contexts. Given that Modern Mentor is really speaking to that professional audience, I wonder if you could share a story or two from your book that highlights how this anxiety machine kind of plays out for people in a professional sense, and maybe some of the conversations that you've had with people who've been struggling professionally to manage and harness their nervous energy. Sure, absolutely. So in the professional space, one of the things that can help a person to do well up to a certain point um, is, say, a tendency to want to double check everything or a tendency to want to 
kind of critique themselves, right? And that's really good to a certain degree. But sometimes people can get too good at those skills, right? Or they don't really evolve and develop skills beyond that. So maybe double checking everything worked great for them in college and entry level jobs. But then as they climb the ladder and take on more responsibility, just double checking everything is impossible. And so they stress themselves out. Or again, it's good to be willing to take a constructive look at yourself so you can know what to fix. But if it just becomes an obsessive habit to pick at yourself, there's a tipping point where it becomes counterproductive. Yeah, that's something that I talk about with clients all the time, this idea that perfection is a great ideal, but not everything that we do in every moment commands perfection, right? And so sometimes, just as human people, we need to learn to differentiate between, you know, when am I putting together a presentation that's going to go public and probably should be quadruple checked? And when am I just sending a casual note to my team or, you know, to the procurement department? And and what can I just sort of do at 50% and that will be good enough. And I think maybe for people with some of this nervous energy, that's a hard balance to strike, certainly for myself. That's so true. Yeah. We don't want to, you know, waste our, our best energy, you know, creating the, the the perfect note to tell everybody what time lunch is today, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's wonderful to have that drive for excellence that a lot of people with perfectionism have. But again, when it gets out of our own control, that's when, you know, things can backfire. One quick tip about that for people that do know that they struggle with, you know, perfectionism or picking at themselves is that when you find yourself doing it, instead of then becoming self-critical for being self-critical, what I suggest people do is to actually congratulate themselves on their awareness and say, oh, good for me. I just realized I'm, I'm doing it. I caught myself. How wonderful is that? Now I can choose to use that energy in a more constructive way. Um, and that way they don't end up just picking at themselves and they actually praise the fact of their awareness of it, which is better than non-awareness of it. So I would love it if we could talk, you know, as I mentioned, your book is not, it's not a roadmap. It's not a step-by-step, but what it does is it blends story with data with this series of tools that you have developed and, and codified over time. And they are different tools for different people and different purposes. And I wonder if you could just choose maybe a couple of your favorites. I don't know if you can pick favorites. It's okay if you can't, but maybe you can highlight a couple of the tools for us and and a little bit about what it is and when a person might choose it and then how they might put it to use. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the tools that I like, I mean, of course, as you said, they're kind of all my favorites, <laughs> but um, at the moment, I'll just choose one called the mental shortlist. And that one is really great for people that tend to have a very active mind, right? Which I'm guessing a lot of your listeners probably do, which is wonderful, and having an active and tenacious mind, which can be a great thing until it starts to get in our own way. So for example, in the book, there's a story about a man that was trying to prepare for a big meeting and up to a certain point, it was actually healthy and productive that that he just thought about it all the time until he reached a point where he had done every single thing to prepare that he could. And he reached a point where he was just spinning his wheels. But he had a cognitive habit 
of thinking about it. And when you have a strong, powerful mind, your cognitive habits can be pretty hard and strong. So to help divert himself and use that mental energy for something better, instead of just telling himself, don't think about that meeting anymore, which is of course, like, don't think about pink elephants. It just puts that in your mind. What we do is we come up with a new mental short list. And that what we do is we think of five things in advance that we know are going to be much better and productive uses of our mental energy. And I encourage people to have the mental shortlist be a variety of things. It could be getting a jump on your birthday and holiday shopping, could be certain friends and family that you need to catch up with, certain work projects as well are good, weekend plans, whatever it is in your life that you feel seems to, you never have enough time to think about it. You write the list down in advance. And that's really important because when the old topic is calling your name and you're having some anxiety about it, our mind actually gets a more narrow focus. Again, it's a gift of mother nature that we can have a narrow single pointed focus on something, which is great until that narrow single pointed focus is on a dead end topic. So having the list of mental shortlist things that you should think about instead written down will be really handy because it will actually be harder to think of them in your moment of stress. So we've got that technique and it sounds like that is designed for the person who can ruminate on something, can kind of spin or get stuck on something. That tool has been really helpful for me and that certainly is a little bit, a little bit of a peek behind the kimono as far as how, how my mind works. You also talked in your book about a stressed out lawyer who you named Matt. And you talked about how he did a little bit of work in the realm of purpose to start to move himself into a better place. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Matt and about the tool that he was using. Sure. So there was a stressed out lawyer named Matt, as you mentioned, and he was in a situation where he was, you know, putting a lot of time and effort into his job to take care of his wife and his children. And he was unfortunately putting so much of a focus on that, that he had really let his health go. And he was also frustrated because he felt like he wasn't, um, you know, living the life he intended. When he became a lawyer, he thought, oh, I'm going to wear great suits and go to fancy, you know, go to live a glamorous life. And it, it just wasn't happening. And he started to find himself really resenting his job. And so what he realized that he could do as we, you know, started to make a mind map about his career and being a lawyer and what that originally even meant for him. And he started to articulate, okay, well, I wanted to be able to take care of my family with it. And yet I find myself never seeing my kids. I wanted to be able to look like James Bond. And yet I, I haven't been to the gym in a year. <laughs> so once we got clear about what it was supposed to mean for him through the mind mapping technique, we were able to then think about it objectively and say, well, actually, because of this income that you have, you could actually have a personal trainer come to your office and help you to train right there at the office. And maybe we need to build your communication skills so that you and your wife can join together and make sure it's extremely clear to the children that dad is working in order to take care of us, that his time at work is not in competition with our family. It's actually in support of our family. And so once he got that mind map out there and realized, 
all the pieces in his mental chessboard, he was able to organize them and again, just streamline his energy and use it to do things like work out or plan family vacations instead of just criticizing himself. I love that story. And I think it just feels so unbelievably resonant right now. You know, you and I were talking a little bit before we hit the record button about how the foundation of this book certainly predates for you the pandemic, but the timing feels just so tremendous right now because of so many factors. Certainly anxiety is just high and we all know that, but also with this incredible blending of our our work selves and our personal selves, and it's all kind of smushed together. And I feel like we've created this space in which we're actually sort of allowed to talk about our feelings and our anxiety in a professional context because we don't have the space to compartmentalize the way that we used to. And there's also just this incredible attention right now being paid to this idea to, of purpose, right? Everybody has, has sort of done some soul searching during the pandemic and they're looking for purpose. And what I love about the tool that you just described and the way that you laid it out is that you know, what Matt didn't do was say, you know, I'm, I'm not on purpose. And so I need to like throw away my career and I need to go to India and I need to meditate and I need to find myself. And what I feel like you were able to help him do was just find, find connections. He, he already had all the pieces there. His family was there. His job was there. His finances were there. And you really helped him to pull them together into a more cohesive and meaningful picture. And it, it sounds like he didn't need to make any massive lifestyle changes. And that feels kind of comforting to me right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, Rachel, people are definitely talking about anxiety. There's more of a sense of permission as we destigmatize that, which is great. However, I want people to know that there's actually kind of a, a pot of gold at the end of that, you know, rainbow and storm, so to speak, which is we don't just have to say, okay, anxiety is there, mental health issues are there, dun, 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 like it's something necessarily all bad and, and heavy. The good news is, and I, if people take nothing else away from this episode, I want them to know that there is a healthy function to anxiety. The healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors. So it's great that people are talking about that. And I want them to know as they talk about anxiety, it actually can be a good news story, believe it or not, if we just know how to use it. And to your point about the sense of purpose, I totally agree that connecting with that sense of purpose is important. Um, And you had asked me to talk about two techniques. So one that reminds me of, as you mentioned, the sense of purpose is the to-do list with emotions, because that one really kind of gets under the hood as to the why of, of why we're doing what we're doing. I'm sure, of course, your listeners all know what a to-do list is because I work with a lot of, you know, really um, driven, efficient people, as I'm sure you do too. They all have a to-do list. And I started to see that one of two things would often happen. Either they would be doing everything on their to-do list, but they would start to feel like a hamster on a wheel, just not any real sense of connection, just like a productivity machine. And they would be looking for that fulfillment or they would suddenly find themselves roadblocked and procrastinating and just not sure why. There would just be kind of a block on the passion. And the to-do list with emotion solves both of those things. So what we do is we take that to-do list and then we look at each item and we think about what is the emotion 
that comes up for that item for me? And then what are the self-care steps I can layer in around that emotion? So for example, if somebody knows that it's on their to-do list that they need to be some doing some job searching. And so on their to-do list are things like, you know, review my resume, talk to five headhunters, that kind of stuff. And they look at each item and they look at their resume and they just get kind of a nervous feeling in their stomach. And they say, well, what's the emotion? Am I feeling a sense of inadequacy or whatever it is? Once we can name the emotion, then we can say, okay, well, what's the self-care step I need to take? Maybe I should make an appointment with my alumni career center, or you know, maybe I should see a career consultant, right? Or, okay, maybe I do great with, with the resume, but when it gets to the interview step, I get the jitters, right? And so maybe the self-care step is to do some mock interviews with a friend or whatever the case may be. But once we take the time to stop criticizing ourselves for not doing the stuff or criticizing ourselves for not feeling passionate about it, instead of wasting that nervous energy, we can use it constructively by pausing and really identifying what is the emotion. And for your links, by the way, if people sometimes need what I call an emotional vocabulary stimulator, they can go to drchloe.com slash emotions. And there's like some free emotional vocabulary stimulators there. Um, but once they can identify the emotion, then they can think about the self-care behaviors, which increases that fulfillment or unlocks the procrastination. I love that example. And I think that it sort of illustrates how we can use our anxiety as data, right? It's, it's telling you something. It's telling you what you need. And your job is not to sort of squash it, but just to listen to it. I've definitely had that experience myself where I feel like there is something that I keep putting off but I just noticed that I'm putting it off. I'm, I'm not really investigating that. And I think sometimes being thoughtful about what is the thing? Am I, am I anxious? Am I uncertain? Do I need more data? Do I need practice? Do I need to phone a friend? Like there is always, almost always something you can do to mitigate that anxiety and, and lean into your, your zone of genius, if you will. Right. And I would encourage people when they do that to not be afraid if the emotion doesn't seem to make sense at first, right? Because sometimes we can have emotions and say, well, you know, why would I be feeling, you know, say I had a client that was feeling fear about helping his mom sort out her attic. <laughs> but like when we really kind of looked at it deeper, it turned out it was about a fear of sorting out her attic meant she was preparing to downsize, which meant she wouldn't live forever and all this other stuff. Yeah. And so I just encourage people to be open to just blank slate. What is the emotion I feel when I look at that to-do item? And one more thing about it too, is that it can be positive. We want to make sure we also drink up the positive moments. So maybe if on your to-do list is, you know, shop for like a, a books for a new professional course you're taking to really stop and soak that up and say, wow, I feel a sense of possibility. This is exciting. You know, maybe, maybe I'll take a picture of myself at the bookstore and share it with my friends and say, you know, let the semester begin and just really soak up the good moments too. I love the positive spin that you keep pushing into this conversation. I think it's so important. And I think it's so important that we just start normalizing these conversations, right? So I hope that listeners are hearing this and taking it in and reflecting on how they themselves can start to practice it. But also, how do you start to bring this conversation 
into your workplace. You know, maybe you are a leader of a team or maybe you're just a member of a team and you just start to, um, and you don't have to sound like you're pretending to be a doctor, but just starting to have conversations about like, oh, I keep putting this off. I wonder why. And, you know, oh, you know what? I realize I just need a little more information. I'm going to go take a LinkedIn learning class or I'm going to go pick up a book. Like just starting to almost role model this internal monologue, bring it out loud and let other people see it, we start to normalize it in the workplace. And I think it only makes us all healthier collectively. That is so true because when we can actually notice it and articulate it, again, that empowers us to take healthy action on it. And it also models for our teams. If we're a leader, we can model that it's okay to have some anxiety and you know, here's how I can handle it in a constructive way. Because if we can't acknowledge it and act on it in a constructive way, then we do what psychologists call acting out. So we might be like, you know, micromanaging or getting irritable or having one too many happy hours, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So when, when we can model it in a constructive way, I've been giving a lot of workshops to professional teams about nervous energy because it is something that is, it's not only okay to have, but it can actually suggest engagement and excitement and investment in what you're doing. We just want to make sure we use it constructively. So there is this quote that I pulled from your book because it spoke to me in a way where I thought you might have been outside my window with binoculars. It just really resonated with me. You say, the higher you climb, the more complex, voluminous, and sometimes amorphous the projects you're given. And you talk in your book about how for those of us who are high achievers, we are ambitious. A lot of us, maybe certainly myself, I was, I was a real student, right? I was, I was always very successful in school where there's sort of like a roadmap and you just have to do it really well. But as we step into our professional realms and as we get more senior, we are given tasks that move from, hey, you know, I need you to go write this paragraph and put it in a piece of collateral to, hey, I need you to deliver on a big sales goal. As we get more senior, the thing that we need to deliver becomes so much more ethereal and we don't have a roadmap. We don't know how we get an A on this project. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you address this type of conversation with clients of yours. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it's important to normalize it, right? Because we we have to give ourselves space to notice and appreciate the challenge that we're facing. And so it's not unusual at all for a lot of people who've done very well in college where they just have to please a professor, follow the syllabus, you know, to, to rise to a certain level. And then just as you said, they reach a point where they have to, you know, create the plan themselves and put themselves out there a little bit more or create their own timeline and keep themselves on track. And so that's when the old tools just no longer work. But we don't want to acknowledge that with a sense of inadequacy. We want to acknowledge it with with a sense of normalcy, right? It's it's perfectly normal. As we grow and we need to develop some new skills, the first step is to just give ourselves permission to be able to have that need without being self-critical about it. And that's one of the things in my book, the reason I call it Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, is that we can actually learn how to take, say, anxiety about saying, yeah, I'm just supposed to increase those sales goals and I don't know how, to realize, well, what could that be stimulating me to do? Maybe that should be stimulating me to at least sketch out some kind of a rough draft and meet with my superiors to see 
what they think of it. Or maybe it would be stimulating me to realize I should get a book or take a class or whatever it is. But when we frame it in that healthy way of saying, okay, it's good news. I'm actually being given more complex assignments because I've done well with easier assignments. I'm supposed to be rising to a point of challenge. And that's where this anxiety is coming from. How do I engage with it constructively? That's how we get uh, to success. It's about finding the opportunity in it, right? That's what I I feel like I hear you describing. And I just think that's a really positive and, and exciting way to think about it. Yeah, definitely. And I I just want to, again, say how incredibly normal it is. I cannot tell you how many times I've had uh, clients come to the office and say, you know, I, I just, I, I want to know what my next step is. Like school was easier because there was a syllabus. I now have to figure it out myself. And it's the first time that they've been asked to do that. Absolutely. What I do want people to take away from this conversation is that if you are a person with anxiety or nervous energy, this book isn't going to try to fix you or cure you. It really is designed to help you see why that's not a bad thing and give you the tools to harness it. So I do hope people really take that away. Definitely. I would take it a step further. It's to me, it's more than not a bad thing. It is a gift. I mean, just, you know, so listeners understand the other side of that is clients who are lethargic, who don't have any energy. They're not nervous about anything because they don't care about anything. So if people are feeling a little zing, even of nervous energy, um, that that's a gift. We just have to learn how to use it constructively. So for somebody who's listening to this right now and they're thinking, oh gosh, I I think this is me. I think I am this person who is constantly criticizing myself for all of my anxiety. Um, Yes, I need to go pick up the book. But beyond that, um, do you have a piece of advice to offer to somebody who maybe is feeling a little bit like this is speaking to me? What's the first thing I should just go do? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that they might want to do is actually kind of befriend the part of themselves that they've been trying to squash down, as you said earlier, Mm. right? So to kind of locate that nervous energy part of themselves. And it might sound kind of funny, but like for people that are, you know, at all into psychology stuff, you, you would know that we have an inner monologue and sometimes an inner dialogue all the time. And so we can say to that part of ourselves, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry I wasn't listening to you. Because the interesting thing about anxiety is that if we don't listen to it and try to use it constructively, that's when it starts stomping and shouting and going crazy to get our attention. So we can start by saying like, hey, anxiety, I'm sorry I mislabeled you as the bad guy. Um, I, I'd like to like start partnering with you. I'm glad you're here. Um, would you be interested in learning some new tools so we can really use your full potential? And then you're kind of integrating yourself. And then certainly with my book, there's ways to do that. Or if people have their own ways of doing it, the first step though, is to really partner with that anxious part of yourself. That sounds lovely. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Once again, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Thank you again so much for being on Modern Mentor today. Thanks, Rachel. Pleasure's mine. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. I hope you'll join me next week for another great episode. Until then, you can follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and have a successful week.
Modern Mentor is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcasting and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Brendan Pika. The Quick and Dirty Tips Network is a division of Macmillan Publishers. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.